everybody, Montel here, and welcome to Free Thinking with Montel. And thank you most, so much for joining us today. I've got an incredible guest with us today, Dr. Babak Kateb, who is a neuroscientist with more than 20 years of research experience. His research has been focused on introduction of advanced diagnostics and therapeutics into clinical neuroscience in order to rapidly identify and introduce game-changing technologies to treat neurological disorders such as brain cancer, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, and other brain and spinal cord disorders. Dr. Keteb established the Society for Brain Mapping and Therapeutics while doing his research fellowship 15 years ago at USC and currently serves as the organization's chairman of the board of directions. He's also the president and scientific director of the Brain Mapping Foundation and director of the National, Secu National Center for Nanobioelectronics. The center is focused on integration of nanotechnology, cellular therapeutics slash stem cell, and medical service and imaging. He's also the director of the Brain Technology and Innovation Park and CEO of Smart Microscopy, Inc. He's also, believe it or not, got a little bit of time on his hand to every now and then run a marathon, which he's run 15 of, and he's an artist who paints and does some medical illustrations for medical textbooks. Dr. Kaitab, so thank you so much for being here with us today. Pleasure. It's an honor to be here with you, with uh, uh, inspiring, legendary uh, Montel Williams. Oh, no, thank you, sir. You know, you, I'm really, really, you know, I think you know, we've, we've talked before, a lot of people, my viewers and listeners don't know that I've been involved in uh, research dealing with, you know, brain from traumatic brain injury to MS to neurological disorder now for about 10 years and have been working recently on pushing forward some brand new breakthrough initiatives in psychological help and in psychological therapy for PTSD. And I hope we get a chance to talk a little bit about that before the end of the, the hour. But I want to start off by first saying that you have really been just busting your butt. That's the only way I can explain it. In the last six months, being a part of this whole COVID-19 pandemic, and this has touched your family personally, you know, first off, why don't you explain how it's touched your family personally and how you've been involved, and I've got another big question for you. Well, I'll finish it. The other question is, how, sir, how today can people deny that this pandemic still exists? I was looking at the news yesterday and was blown away when, you know, a politician stepped up to the microphone and had this nerve to discuss COVID-19 as if it's in the past. And COVID-19 is very much still here. We just broke under a thousand deaths a day this last week. So how has this been, has it affected your family personally? Number two, uh, you know, um, where do you think we are right this minute and how can people deny this truth? Sure, well, thank you very much for giving me an opportunity to be on your show and uh, speak to your uh, amazing viewers well obviously uh we all got uh, impacted by covid19 and it was uh, announced out of wuhan back in uh, 2019 uh, but uh, immediately uh, after uh, we uh, received a uh, sequence of the virus from uh, wuhan uh, we uh, created a, a global task force 
uh, of scientists of different backgrounds, infectious disease, uh, neurologists, neurosurgeons, um, spine surgeons, and uh, basically molecular biologists and so on. And they had a weekly calls and uh, discussions of uh, scientific papers, the new treatments and so on. So uh, fast forward uh, six months after, um, actually eight months after, uh, we published the most comprehensive review uh, of COVID-19 from etiology to pathophysiology, uh, all vaccine uh, treatments, uh, nutrition and rehabilitation uh, of uh, this uh, uh, disease in the Journal of Alzheimer's, which is coming up uh, in uh, September. So uh, it's, it's kind of a landmark review because uh, as I said, we spend months and months uh, every day uh, to uh, review all the paper, papers and articles that came out. Uh, over a thousand papers were reviewed, 425 of them referenced and a pretty rock solid uh, you know, uh, review that's coming up in the uh, Journal of Alzheimer's. Now, how that uh, disease impacted me Unfortunately, uh, my mother got uh, uh, sick of uh, COVID-19. She was on dialysis as uh, a dialysis patient and got it in the dialysis center and uh, also transferred that to my father. And uh, now we know it to my sister. Uh, so, uh, uh, and uh, she ended up uh, being hospitalized at Cedar sinai Medical Center. And uh, I should... Uh, truly thank the nurses and medical staff uh, at Cedar sinai and for basically saving her life. So we had 25 doctors of different disciplines uh, working on her. Uh, the, the main doctor was uh, Dr. Payam Shadi, which I thank him uh, for that. And uh, basically we got uh, uh, stabilized uh, but she almost died three times on you know, all types of complications. So she developed ARDS, acute uh, respiratory dis uh, disease syndrome. And then after that, she had cytokine storm. And after that, she had uh, uh, what's called acute uh, coagulable state, uh, which basically your body starts uh, uh, forming thrombosis and uh, emboli. So she had a... Uh, emboli in her uh, thrombosis in her uh, uh, abdominal wall and then she had emboli in her lung and she had two thrombosis in her arm almost pushed uh, us to actually you know think about uh, the worst uh, in amputating her arm because her arm was so swollen that the skin was pumped wow. the level that uh, kind of ripped so um but uh, the, the most important thing is that the, the, the team was spot on. I mean, the, the Cedar Sinai team was just absolutely incredible to uh, to check her uh, uh, status with me, um, and uh, she developed a mild sepsis. These patients develop sepsis after the virus left, so you've got to be very careful. Uh, you know block that because they can quickly die of sepsis. So we quickly blocked that and then um, so we basically got her stabilized and then from there we moved her to uh, 
California Rehabilitation Institute, which is Cedar Sinai UCLA um, uh, Institute. And uh, basically, um, we had to deal with her uh, another condition, which is called autonomic dysfunction, because when you're lying on the bed for so many months, uh, your autonomic nervous system is going out of whack. So basically, you can't stand up and walk around. You get dizzy and you, the blood pressure goes up and down. So we had to deal with that. And, um, you know, finally, after 63 days, two days before my uh, birthday in July uh, uh, 13th, uh, 12th, actually, my birthday is on the Bastille Day, uh, 14th of July. Uh, she was uh, released from the hospital and she's recovering. Now, my father was an 86-year-old with um, uh, basically history of uh, lung issues and asthma. Um, he was a heavy smoker until his 50s and one day quit and basically never smoked again. But that's developed uh, asthma, developed into asthma. And um, he had COVID-19 tested and positive with no signs and um, you know, just recently is developing this kind of uh, rash that are weird um, all over his body and we kept testing ourselves I mean I was negative all the way but uh, my sister was also negative uh, she just got an um, immunoglobulin G uh, assessment it turns out that she developed immunity uh, for COVID-19. Now, we don't know how long that's going to last, but this tells you a story about how a family could, uh, could be infected. Uh, one has no symptoms, one has questionable symptoms, the other one goes uh, basically um, deals with uh, complete uh, you know, organ destructions and, and uh, kind of uh, symptoms and almost death. This is crazy, though. I, I just can't believe, though, still we're now into this for six months, and there are people out here who still don't think this is real, or now people think this is behind us. Is this really behind us, doctor? Uh, it's not, and it's real because uh, last night I got a text from a friend saying that uh, this is a, a bio-weapon. Gates mm. and and uh, you know some some people are supporting this research. Look, we always do research on deadly disorders and deadly diseases. Um, you know that that has been uh, the goal of National Institute of Health and uh, National Institute of Infectious Disease. So I think uh, if you look at how we come up with a drug for this. COVID-19, which is I'm busy here, uh, you will see the history of our research on Ebola. Ramdesivir was a drug of choice for Ebola. And uh, so we repurposed that to uh, COVID-19. So to say, uh, well, you know, NIH was doing research on these uh, coronaviruses and funding this type of uh, scientists, and, you know, mad scientists and develop something. That's not true. You always uh, go after the most deadliest uh, viruses to understand them and basically preemptively develop drugs and, and uh, technologies to, uh, to uh, basically use them when you need it. So that's, I mean, kind of uh, answer to the question that this is 
that this does not seem to be recognized virus because if you look at the sequence uh, and compare that with the sequence, other sequences uh, of the virus, the coronaviruses, it's, it's very similar. Now, it has mutated as any other virus does. It has seven uh, basically new strains, uh, which has made it more um, infectious. So it can spread faster, uh, but doesn't seem to be make it more deadly. Um, so, uh, so that's that. Now, some people don't believe this COVID-19 exists. I mean, um, and that's know, like some people believe in, in that the earth is flat, you know, yes. so, <laughs> and, but, uh, if, if there are, and, and to be frank with you, I'm appalled to see some of the doctors, uh, say, uh, you know, such, uh, um, Kind of an inappropriate uh, comments, knowing their background and their, their education. Now the politicians say this is gone away, or they want to think or live in a different reality uh, to just kind of uh, look the other way, thinking that it's if I don't see it, uh, doesn't exist. You know, I mean, uh, we see a lot of uh, casualties of uh, this disease. The same politicians compared this to flu. Same politicians said, ah, 36,000 people die of flu. So what? This is just, you know, 10,000 casualties. Now we are in 180,000. And also, by the way, we don't know the secondary impact of this disease. COVID-19 could cause cancer. Yes or no? We don't know. COVID-19 now we know can cause stroke and can cause meningitis and other, you know, um, encephalitis. And this was listed in our paper. So we are learning as we go, but we can't play a Russian roulette with our lives and, uh, you know, kind of uh, say, you know, the, the, the death toll on this is, Okay, or less than two percent. Okay, let everything open up. Let's everything uh, go about the same way it was. Uh, we've got to. We are Americans. We are. We are. We think differently. We we are on the front line of science, and we do more testing than any other nation. I, I agree with that, and uh, we report better than any other nation. Uh, so, I mean, I trust our data because there are so many oversights on the US data. Uh, so uh, to be frank with you, uh, we are the nation that is reporting honestly uh, and uh, testing uh, rigorously. Uh, and, you know, we are the nation which we, we, we will come up with uh, new drugs and uh, vaccines for this. Let me ask you a question now. Do you get to work with or talk to, you know, the task force at the White House, or do they ignore the science that you guys want to provide to them? Well, indirectly, you know, uh, we're uh, you know, discussing I mean, as our papers coming up, uh, you know, uh, communicating with them. But, I mean, I think... Uh, um, there is a learning curve to be um, 
to be fair, um, there's a learning curve in this disease across the board. Uh, White House, NIH, all of the scientists, um, and the boy will learn that. In terms of uh, clinical protocols, how to treat these patients, uh, you're lagging behind. I think what CDC has to do, they have done, come up with a protocol that says um, you have to you have to do X, Y, and Z when you see these patients. Okay, for example. When you see a brain cancer patient in the ER, okay, automatically you have certain protocol to, to go through in your mind. So what does COVID-19 mean to you? Okay, COVID-19 to me, if, so, if somebody tells me my patient has COVID-19 based on this paper that we wrote, I'm gonna think about, okay, is he or she symptomatic or not? If yes, okay, then what are the symptoms? Severe or mild or moderate? Severe, okay. Symptoms are severe, then I'm gonna think about, predict what's going to, what's going to be happening. If the symptoms are severe, I'm gonna watch for ARDS, okay? Acute respiratory stress disorder. Uh, so, or, uh, and then I'm going to also predict this patient going to get cytokine storm. I'm going to predict this patient going to have acute hypercoagulable uh, state. And then I'm going to think about, okay, this patient going to have sepsis. And then I'm going to think about uh, in the rehab, this patient is going to have basically autonomic dysfunction. To me, a, a severe COVID-19 means these five things that I mentioned. So and so far, wait a minute, but, but now, and so far, we haven't established that protocol or that um, guideline yet. So literally, we have in 50 states, 50 sets of doctors going about this 50 different ways, and I'm sorry, and probably 100 different hospitals in every single state. So you know, that's, uh, that's seems to me just a dumb way to do this. And I don't understand why hasn't the AMA, why hasn't, haven't doctors stepped up to the plate and said, wait, stop guys, let's put this in the same protocol and format that we've put any other disease. Why have we not done that? I think uh, because uh, there was not a single comprehensive review on the disease um, so far, most medical journals have a uh, word limitation, table of, table, uh, of uh, research limitation or image limitation. Uh, so when we approached journal of Alzheimer's disease, they were gracious to us to allow us to present the comprehensive review because these reviews going through thousands of uh, papers help us um, develop guidelines based on science. So the Society for Brain Mapping and Therapeutic is going to do that. And I think uh, we're going to uh, share this review with uh, the White House Task Force and uh, Dr. Fauci. And uh, because we also look into the therapeutics, uh, like uh, Ramdesivir, uh, that is basically blocking the replication of uh, um, virus. Uh, I uh, send a an image to your producer 
that you could uh, show that uh, basically uh, the mode of entry of virus to the cell, it is through a ACE2 receptor. ACE2 receptor uh, basically play a significant role. And when the virus is inside the cell, basically it has to replicate itself. And drugs like Ramdesivir and uh, also Abigan, which is the uh, Fuji film in Japan uh, produced it, uh, are blocking very well that um, uh, replication and basically stabilizing the situation. So the, the, uh, the virus cannot reproduce itself and infect other cells. So, so that limits the viral that limits the viral load inside of someone's body. Now you're you know the Society for Brain Mapping just completed this comprehensive report, and has it already been published, or you're trying to get it published? No, it's accepted for publication. It's in the press. I send a copy of that to you, and uh, it is going to be in uh, I think volume seventy seven, number two, uh, September twenty twenty, uh, Journal of All Memory. Mm-hmm. And it will be highlighted. Uh, this this went through. Uh, we, we went through a lot to publish this paper because uh, the reviewers, uh, you know, made sure that uh, we basically on the solid ground of the science, including. I said cross every T and dotted every I, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. And including, uh, I mean, one of them had uh, about sixty-eight points that we had to respond, one of the three reviewers. So altogether, probably we responded to about 200 uh, comments on the, on the review. Uh, and uh, uh, and uh, we basically um, addressed those. Uh, but one of the topics that we discuss is uh, obviously, um, does hydroxychloroquine help? Okay. And going back to the same picture that I, I sent to you, if you show that to your uh, viewers, uh, you will see there are two different pathways that that uh, uh, coronaviruses actually um, infect a cell. One pathway is ACE2 receptor, as I mentioned. The other way is endocytosis. Basically, uh, the, the virus will be doubled up uh, by um, cell wall. So, uh, the hydroxychloroquine uh, basically impacts that uh, endocytosis, uh, but uh, uh, but endocytosis doesn't really happen in uh, in uh, COVID nineteen. Okay, so that endocytosis uh, does not happen in COVID nineteen. Therefore, um, the hydroxychloroquine, by definition of molecular biology is not going to be uh, helpful. Now, there was a, a study done by Henry Ford saying that hydroxychloroquine works, but in that study, they also use uh, steroids. That's not a double blind, okay? Right. So, and now we know steroids will help. So, I mean, I think uh, there is a great need for um, paying attention to science Science has been ignored, uh, and unfortunately, um, in our schools, high schools, universities, uh, science also 
uh, are put on the back burner. You know, we don't teach science uh, uh, to our uh, you know middle schools and, and high schoolers properly because of a variety of different reasons. You know, um, we get mixed up with uh, religious and uh, kind of a political thinking. You know, the, the beauty of teaching science to kids is that they develop an inquisitive mind. Okay, they look at the facts, red or black, or, you know, uh, just, just look at the facts. And um, currently, we are living in a society that even uh, doctors who crave for media attention, they comments say complete nonsense, uh, you know, that a lot um, some of these doctors who were in Washington, D.C. talking about one of them, uh, the lady was talking about, you know, treating her patients with hydroxychloroquine. She doesn't even have a single publication on that. Right. And so that's because that's because I that think you eat water and you get better and say, oh, well, yeah, water is a, a medicine and bottle it and sell it to you for COVID-19. That doesn't work in science. Okay. You've got to have a control. You have to go, you know, and that's what Dr. Fauci has been saying. Uh, we can't just pull a treatment out of a hat and say, oh, you know, anecdotally, my uncle and my mother and this and that got better, so this is perfect. Or I, I'm, I've been taking hydroxychloroquine, let's, uh, like the uh, president said, I haven't gotten it. Well, maybe you did not get exposed to it. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, you're, it's, I'm sure that's the case. I mean, the president's been uh, you know, kind of secured. So to um, to get politicians into um, suggesting treatment is it, just it's just irresponsible. Absolutely irresponsible. Look, doctor, I have to do a little thing. I got to pay a couple of bills, so I got to take a little break. And that break will be just a minute. And I know you've been listening right now to. You know, uh, our podcast and your 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 try from free thinking and literally, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the day's discussion. I want all of our listeners to make sure you stay tuned. We're going to go away for about thirty seconds and come back after we pay some bills. And you've been listening to Doctor Babak Ketan, who's a neuroscientist and runs and is the president of and the chairman of the board of the Society for Brain Mapping that's been doing a lot of research into and doing a lot of studying and trying to make sure the facts get published on COVID-19. So you don't want to miss what we've got coming up. Yeah, we're next, we're going to take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Well, hey, guys, welcome back to Free Thinking with Montel. And again, our guest today is world-renowned renowned neuroscientist and investigator and therapeutic investigator and, and the president of the Brain Mapping Society, Dr. Babek Ketab. Thanks so much, doctor, for being here with us today. My pleasure, Montel. It's a great honor to be with you. Absolutely. And I can't thank you enough for actually, you know, giving out the real true data that needs to be given out right now. I, I, I find it just an abomination looking at some of these political rallies where there are still people sitting shoulder to shoulder and not wearing masks and believing that what politicians say are true, that the worst of COVID-19 is behind us. I don't want you to put on a crystal ball, but if you had a crystal ball for a second, 
You know, everybody's been talking about how much worse this is going to be get in the fall. What's your prediction for the next couple of months? We're at 180,000, I think 180,000 deaths as of today. How bad can this get, sir? Well, I mean, I think uh, going back to your initial point about politicians uh, thinking that this is going to go away, um, it's not going to go away. Uh, unfortunately, this is going to be around like uh, HIV AIDS. So you have to live with it. And uh, it's just a single, a simple math uh, you have to do to see when you have a flu season, your casualty of flu gonna go up. Combine that with COVID-19, unfortunately, we are up for a uh, rough ride ahead. Now, how do we prevent that? You don't have to take hydroxychloroquine or chemical or, or, or toxins to, to uh, protect yourself. Put your mask on. Very simple. You know, very simple preventive measure uh, that could actually prevent, it's not a political statement, it's basically, you know, um, preventing yourself to get sick or uh, to transmit uh, sickness to others. So, I mean, that's basic thing people have to do. Now, uh, you have to also. Uh, physically distance, not necessarily socially. I don't agree with the social distancing. I agree with the physical distance. So socially, you have to be connected to each other and, and uh, you know, humans are social uh, animals, I would say. So, um, but I think uh, there are ter therapies coming up. There are a number of vaccines uh, coming up. Um, you know, Russia announced their vaccine during phase two, but vaccine in phase two doesn't count. If that's the case, we have like Ponyama in the US, okay? It has to be in phase three, it has to. So, so when you go through the phases of uh, trials, you want to see if this is safe, is it feasible, and is it uh, basically um, um, reproducible, the results are reproducible, so you don't have any side effects, okay? So, you know, we, so let me ask you, let me, I'm sorry, stop you right there for just a second, because as we're talking about vaccines coming, I'm going to come back to that. But I want to address a little bit, you know, you just said it socially, we are social animals. That's the reason why so many people are trying to, and so many politicians are trying to force schools to reopen, to allow children to get back to school so they can do, you know, what they need to do to learn how to socially develop and act, interact with other human beings. But can you explain how COVID-19 affects children and adults differently? Give us some definitive science behind how, you know, and, and when I say children, we're talking children in multiple groups, you know, one to six, six to 12, 12 and above to 18 or three different groups affected three different ways. Is that not right? Well, you know, when, when you're looking at uh, uh, COVID-19, you have to look at it uh, from the virology standpoint. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with a nanoparticle that has a spike protein that can infect uh, uh, So some studies show that uh, in, in uh, um, some adults, you don't, or, or in children, you don't have the concentration of ACE2 receptor that uh, allows this uh, virus 
to uh, infect, and that goes up as we as we become uh, more mature. So it's really come down to the molecular biology, uh, you know, um, not the sociology uh, aspects of this. So we've got to see um, how this COVID nineteen reacts in different population. As I said, for my own mother, eighty one year old, uh, she ended up in hospital almost died but my 86 year old father had it and uh no or no symptoms and then my sister always negative but then i became positive so um so i think uh, children are or at least at this moment seem to be more immune and there's a reason for that because they have been vaccinated for different things, okay? So their immune system is hyper alert. And also there are some studies that shows that the, the amount of H2 receptor in them is uh, lower than, um, than basically um, adults, okay? So adults meaning high school and above, okay? So, so we, we are, basically paying attention to the molecular biology of the cell in, in, in uh, children, but also some of these children have uh, pre-existing conditions. So that put them in risk. You know, obese children or obese adults, higher risk, you know. Uh, so uh, I think we have to have a protocol that uh, allows the students to, to learn um, you know, first of all, if they want to go to school, they, they can sign up. If they want to learn online, they can sign up. And then they have to get a clearance from their doctors if they have any pre-existing condition. So uh, let me ask they, you, but now if, uh, the younger child that doesn't have the same amount of those H1 receptors, you said? H2. 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 So the younger child that doesn't have the same amount of H2 receptors, can they still have the viral load in their sinuses and be able to transmit that virus? Uh, hypothetically possible, you know, and uh, those are things that are being studied as we speak. And, and basically that's why um, the, the science has to drive this, okay? Uh, not, uh, you know, kind of a political uh, movements, uh, close or not close. I mean, in, in some areas, you don't have as much as infection. So you have to basically look at the, the, the infection rate in the population and then the proper social distancing. Uh, maybe you could have uh, some physical attendance in school, different population of students, maybe you know, um, adolescents and, and children, and, and the uh, adult, could uh, mostly move on lawn. But again, you can't just take, you know, paint everybody with one brush. You've got to look at individual students' medical background, okay, and the social network. Because if you have a grandma in, in, in the house, if you're, you're having a pre-existing condition, if you're, you know, kind of, uh, you're a high schooler, or maybe you know it's, it's not a good idea to just go about 
the, the same old uh, school type of thinking. So maybe you can focus on uh, learning online. But if they're younger children and uh, they, they have, again, there should be a guideline, there should be a pre-screening, and that's where the politician can help. The politician can help support the science. The politician can help develop these pre-screening based on the science. Okay, not go about oh well, you know, you've got to open this school for everybody, or you will lose your funding. I mean, that's just really irresponsible. Well, you know, you're talking about to let the science lead the way. Now, yesterday, you know, Dr. Fauci. Uh, stated in the press that uh, apparently he was under general anesthesia when the CDC decided to change their guidelines and say that, you know, people who are asymptomatic don't need to be tested. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, let's just put the science on scientists aside uh, and, and politicians aside. What the common sense tells you Okay, so if you are exposed to something, don't you want to know so you can prevent? Okay, so I think uh, to say that uh, uh, you don't have to quarantine for two weeks or don't have to uh, test yourself, it, it just really doesn't help us to get over this uh, pandemic. It really doesn't. What's, what's gonna destroy this country lack of attention to science, dragging this pandemic over and over because the sooner we get this under control and, and get over with, everybody's going to go to their work, you're going to limit your losses and increase your gains financially, personally, physically, mentally, and so on. But I think this psychological warfare that uh, some of these politicians are playing uh, with this uh, COVID-19 has uh, really stressed out many people. I mean, you talk about PTSD and, uh, and uh, psychological health, and I tell you, um, this disease has taken a toll on uh, American psyche. We have a lot of people with depression, a lot of people with, uh, uh, you know, PTSD, and, um, and you know, like uh, this gunman who killed uh, two protesters yesterday, is complete, uh, you know, uh, basically psychological meltdown. Uh, and, and the reason for that is that is a, is a lapse of judgment to the yes. level of murder. And then you see online, people actually support that guy and say, well, the two people you killed, they had this and that. How can you support a murderer? How, well, first off, how can you support a 17-year-old carrying a gun down the middle of the street? A 17-year-old that we won't even allow put a gun on in the military. How can you allow him to think that he's a police, capable of policing civilians without any training whatsoever? It, this is such a ridiculous argument right now. Police uh, cars, and they don't do anything to him, and... Uh and they shoot other people in the back. So uh, we're from people of the color. So I think beside the, um, beside the COVID-19, which has exposed our uh, uh, weaknesses uh, in teaching our kids logical thinking, being 
inquisitive and following the facts and science. Uh, we have also been exposed uh, to racial divide and, uh, and, and also we have seen how this pandemic has impacted uh, mental health and will continue to do that. Yeah, let's, well, let's uh, just expand a little bit on that because I think people are thinking that, well, let's say we do get this under control. Let's just, let's just, I, I'll fake it and act like I got a crystal ball and a magic ball and I can say, okay, all right, today we're going to get COVID-19 under control and we're going to get the deaths down to under 100 a day. We're going to get the infection rate down to under, you know, 100 a day nationally. We're still left with a nation that is bearing the brunt of psychological meltdown, psychological trauma. And this is going to go on for a long time to come, especially when it comes to our frontline and first responders. How do we start to start a conversation about what's going to have to get done over the next couple of years just to bring us back to a baseline of psychological efficiency to be able to deal with tomorrow? Sure. I mean, you, uh, you and many of my uh, friends talk about crystal ball, and uh, I have a name for it. And the name for the crystal ball is science. Yes. <laughs> crystal ball. Okay. But here's you also know the crystal ball. The crystal ball of science can make this all go away. But are we paying attention to crystal ball? No. Uh, so we are thinking that uh, our crystal balls are our political leaders and, and uh, they have many other intents with lack of understanding of science. Uh, they, they will lead us to death and destruction. So I think uh, we've got to come down to that crystal ball of science. And then uh, I think uh, with science and technology, I mean, boy, this country is built based on science and technology. And uh, we have, I mean, the uh, greatest nation in the world because of that. Uh, we've got to uh, basically pay attention to science and scientists and uh, facts, facts that are published and, uh, and uh, debated. You know, among our own uh, colleagues, we have colleagues who are, again, going back to hydroxychloroquine as an example, is that uh, they wanted to debate that, you know, uh, hydroxychloroquine works. But the literature doesn't say that. The clinical trials are not double-blinded. They don't say that. The molecular biology of the virus, the mode of entry, is not as such that hydroxychloroquine can block it. Okay? So it's ACE2 receptor. ACE2 receptor, not endocytosis. Therefore, if your drug is working on this, uh, something else doesn't impact the injury of this virus. And by the way, you know, some of my, uh, you know, relatives uh, um, back in Iran, that they actually uh, took hydroxychloroquine and they still got infected. And unfortunately, uh, uh, one of them that had his son uh, graduated from a master degree in the University of London, he came to uh, Tehran and he threw a small party with a family um, of 30 people. 
and then hired some uh, chef to prepare food. They all got infected with, with COVID-19. The father died. Wow. And uh, some of the people who were taking hydroxychloroquine, thinking that they're it's preventive measure, they got it. And my niece who had COVID-19 uh, four months before got reinfected. Wow. So, I mean, if you were talking about anecdotal studies, okay, well, take this too. Okay, you can't have a doctor coming yelling on top of her lung in Washington, D.C., telling me that, uh, you know, she has treated 350 uh, patients with and did not get it. Um, at the COVID-19. That is just not true. It right. is not, it's not true because it, it might be true in, in her record, but it is not published. Publish it, that becomes a scientific truth. And then when she published it, you'd find out that there's not probably any truth to the way she described how, you know, the, the uh, oxycodone, what, I'm sorry, the, the chloroquine. Yeah, hydrochloroquine had an effect. Well, it was a quick question. But, um, what do you think, and maybe you can help us out, what is the real status of the COVID-19 virus? I mean, you know, I was sorry, uh, vaccine. I mean, there I've heard anything from the fact that there's maybe, you know, 200 to 300 of them in development, but we don't know how many of them have made it to phase three and how many of them are in phase three right now. So what is the status of a vaccine? Well, I mean, there are several of them. About uh, 10 vaccines are being uh, tested. Uh, almost half of them are in phase three in the U.S. So, uh, um, on the globe. So, I think the vaccine uh, will be coming. Um, uh, just the, the, the reason for the delay is basically safe feasibility, safety, and efficacy studies. Okay. These are the three things we've got to take a look at uh, vaccine development. Is it feasible? Is it safe? It is efficacious. So these are the, the phases of clinical trial. And then you go from small sample of people to a larger sample to multi-central clinical trial. And then you get that data and then take a look at the data, take a look at the facts, facts, pick them, and uh, basically revise them. So, Again, to give you an example, our own paper took about six, seven months put together, uh, just looking at thousands of papers and then reviewing every paper, reading every paper, referencing it properly and so on. So when you are trying to get a vaccine to a mass population of you know, billions of people, you want to make sure these vaccines are safe. Okay. Uh, and you want to make sure they're effective. And those are the data that you have to go after. And then what can you tweak in the vaccine to make it more safe, more effective? Okay, because the spike proteins are mutating. So the vaccine that we have for Wuhan may not be effective for the uh, strain seven that's out there in the US. Okay, so, so there are things you can tweak in, in the vaccine. So you, you basically take the uh, strain seven protein uh, and then decoded into the vaccine. So 
So this back and forth in scientific, uh, basically, debate and scientific uh, uh, process will enable us to come up with a, a pipeline of vaccines. And as this, uh, uh, basically, virus start mutating, that's okay. It's like the uh, flu virus. We can develop more vaccine for it. So probably we're going to have uh, at least one or two shots uh, uh, per year for COVID-19. But again, if we don't educate the public about the importance of vaccine and how vaccine therapy uh, plays a significant role in modern medicine, um, you know, there are people who are skeptics of vaccines. I mean, I don't want to vaccinate myself with junk, okay? Uh, nobody wants okay? So it's not like, uh, I'm for vaccine or somebody else is, uh, against vaccine. So people who are anti-vaccination, they have some legitimate concern, which I would say safety, but on some misunderstanding that somehow, um, you know, Bill Gates of the world, they want to just, you know, kind of vaccinate everybody to chicken them and so on. That's just not, that's not how, vaccine trials are designed uh, when you're doing a trial for thousands of patients you can't slip a chip in there or something I mean, it's just kind of misinformation that is uh, done by uh, i would say even foreign adversaries i mean i i get comments on some of my posts and uh in my facebook and i dig deeper into the commentator it turns out to be a troll Right. Well, you know, so once we once we get a vaccine, how long do you think it will take before it'll become widely available? Let's say we get a breakthrough and all of a sudden we finish a, a clinical trial, a third phase trial next month. How long after the finishing of that third phase trial will the vaccine then become available? That's a very good question. That is a policy issue. Now you see where actually science and policy uh, kind of collide. Okay, or intermingle, because developing a vaccine is a scientific process. Looking at a data and clinical trial that has to be published and be scrutinized and reproduced, that is something that science basically has to base their approval on. Now, mass scale is becoming a business and policy and for, for us to mass scale that, you have to start talking about vaccine and educating people about vaccine. This administration doesn't do that. This administration does not advocate for a vaccine, educating how many kind of commercials or anything have you have seen about vaccine, you know. Um, there was an anti-vax uh, video that they were actually pushing there more than vaccination. So they don't really, you know, drive the science. They, they, they want to just hammer the scientists. So I think you've got to, um, you've got to be prepared from now to scale up, produce needles, produce caps for, uh, you know, needles and so on. You've got to pre-identify the vaccination sites You've got to put the legislation into place that all the uh, Americans are vaccinated for free. I mean, the funding for that has to be uh, put in place. 
And if we want to get everybody vaccine tomorrow and we have a vaccine today, that's not possible at the moment. We, we have not worked our policy, uh, financing, guideline, coordination, all of that, at least to my knowledge, I might be wrong. I don't, I don't want to be at the doomsdayer, and this is probably my last question, we're running out of time. And I don't want to ask you a doomsday question. However, as we look at global warming, we look at what's going on in our environment. I remember, oh, it's about six months ago, uh, even before COVID-19 started, I remember reading an article in a newspaper talking about the fact that there was a group of scientists who were researching an ice core from a, um, uh, that was taken out of, you know, off a mountaintop. And that ice core was looking at ice from 100 years ago. And when they looked at the ice at 100 years ago, no, I'm sorry, a million years ago, they discovered a version of the, uh, what is it, the HP3 virus, the virus that causes uh, you know, cervical cancer, and recognized that that virus was different than any version of the virus in existence on the planet today. But the reason why they were looking at that ice core from a million years ago is because the ice had melted to that place and they just wanted to know what could possibly be in the ice that might be released. So that means that as we go through this whole global planet change with global warming, we're melting ice and releasing into the atmosphere viruses and antigens and, and pathogens that Mankind has never seen, never, ever, ever. Our immune systems have never been introduced to. We're having a hard time right now with COVID-19. What happens when one of these things get loose? I mean, do you think we in any way, shape or form are prepared for what we've done to this planet when it comes to, you know, global warming and, and the fact that some of this stuff is getting released in the atmosphere? Well, uh, the short answer is no. The long answer is that uh, we have to be prepared for more pandemic, uh, not every hundred years, unfortunately, maybe every decade. So this is going to be around as we move into the animal territory, uh, start eating bats and, you know, eating uh, animals with, uh, uh, you know, uh, different uh, viruses. You're going to have this type of viruses jumping from animal to human, but also ancient viruses that we don't even know about, uh, and they're very deadly and uh, destructive, could uh, pop up. And uh, again, that begs the uh, importance of funding NIH uh, centers that dis discover and uh, study this type of pathogens. So to say that, you know, NIH was funding this uh, study or well, there's some government conspiracy, uh, that's nonsense. So this pathogen that you're talking about, I haven't come across that article, but, uh, you know, if they have found that pathogen, then immediately that is transferred to, to CDC in Atlanta. And then immediately they will start studying on that because if one of those guys who found it is exposed to it, then there's a possibility of, uh, you know, uh, 
pandemic. So I've got to get ahead of it. Again, our crystal ball of getting out of this is science. Science. Have to uh, uh, focus on our crystal ball. Uh, we can get out of it, and and the name of that crystal ball is science. It's not politicians, not policy, but science-based policy can can uh, radiate uh, out of that crystal ball and solve uh, our problems. Thank you so much, Dr. Ketan, for being with us today here on free thinking and i'd love to have you back at another time we barely just try to scratch the surface because we got so much that we could talk about but i thank you and thank you for all the hard work that you and the brain mapping institute and other doctors with you are doing to make sure we at least try to get ahead of this thing thank you so much sir thank you very much for your uh, time and uh, for uh paying attention and highlighting the science yes sir and for all of you out there, thanks so much for tuning in today to Free Thinking with Montel. Make sure you tune into our next edition. We're out. Thank you so much.